Well, if you will take your Bibles, one last time this year anyway, we will turn to the New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we began this letter and we concentrated on chapter 1 during the Advent period because chapter 1 deals with the second coming of Jesus or the second Advent. And my purpose was to continue through chapters 2 and 3, and that's what we're going to do today. And we're looking at chapter 2, and I'm only going to read verses 1 through 5 today, and by no means will we be able to cover all the content in these verses because as you're going to know or maybe already know, this chapter is, is I mean, hugely controversial and hugely difficult, okay? And I'll explain that more as we work through it, but... Um, It is not the common average chapter in the Bible. But we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 today, and we're going to look for one particular thing in those verses, which we'll get to in just a moment. But let me read the text first. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, it is always a privilege an honor to stand before your people and to speak not not mere human words. For human words are never enough, but your word is always enough. And so I feel very privileged to stand each week before these dear people, your people, who long for the truth. And so what a joy it is to bring the truth of your word under the anointing of your Holy Spirit to deliver today to your people. May we receive it joyfully. May it build up our faith. Holy Spirit, may you convict where conviction is necessary and needed. Expose, illuminate. Help us where we cannot help ourselves. Come today and work mightily amongst us. For the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. You might have heard about a man who meets a guru in the road, and he asked the guru, he said, which way is success? And the guru doesn't speak a word. He just points off in the distance as if to say it's that way. Well, the man was thrilled at the prospect of a quick, easy success, and So he rushes off in that direction and suddenly you hear a loud splat. The man, a little while later, limps back. He's tattered, he's stunned, and he assumes that he must have misunderstood the message. And so 
He repeats his question to the guru, which way is success? And once again, the guru points silently in the same direction. The man takes off again, and this time, the splat is deafening. Well, the man crawls back. He's bloodied. He's broken. And this time, he screams at the guru. He said, look, I'm going to ask you which way is success. I followed the direction you indicated, and all I got was splatted. So no more not talking. Talk. Tell me. Which way is success? The guru replied, success is that way, just a little after the splat. I tell you that story because it illustrates a point that is necessary for us to understand. As you read 2 Thessalonians, a letter to the church, like, in fact, like all of the letters to the churches, what you will find is there is a passion from the writer as he writes to followers of Jesus Christ. It's a passion that is there saying to the church, it's worth continuing. Don't give up too soon. That is a message that you find in the letters, all of the letters of the New Testament to the church. It's worth continuing. Don't give up too soon. It's a message that the church in every age needs to hear. For example, you might be here today, and I think especially of my younger friends. You're here, and you, let's say, you are trying to follow Jesus. You, you, are, you are serious. You, you're serious about your commitment to Christ, and you see some of your friends crossing lines that they shouldn't cross. And, and you look at them, and you think, uh-oh, uh-oh, what's going to happen to them? And you kind of expect that maybe the hammer of God's going to fall down on them. But instead, they seem happy. They seem fulfilled. And then you begin to think, hmm, maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I'm missing out by remaining faithful to God, trying to walk with Christ. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm missing out. Or maybe you're here today and you're in a difficult marriage. Maybe you're married to someone who doesn't share your level of commitment to Christ. And and at times you, you begin to wonder, is it worth continuing? Well, I would just call your attention to this letter. This letter where Paul reminds persecuted believers, struggling believers, wondering, is it worth to continue? He says, tells them in chapter 1, Christ is coming back. And he's going to grant you relief. You're going to have a relief like you've never known before. Then he tells them in chapter 2, we'll see it later, stand firm. The th- th- things are shaking every which way. You stand firm. It's worth continuing. Don't give up. Then later in chapter 2, we also read where he, he tells believers, you will obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of that is to say, brothers and sisters, it is worth continuing. As you finish out this year, as you finish out this year and you look ahead to the next year and you wonder, man, you know, I had some struggles this year, but I wonder what, wonder what next year is going to be like. It's probably going to be struggles. Probably, yeah. But it's worth continuing. Don't give up. Now, we, we said earlier that you could divide this chapter up in a simple outline like this. Chapter 1, Jesus is coming again. Chapter 2, not yet. Chapter 3, in the meantime, right? Okay, Jesus is coming back. Yes, he's coming back. But chapter 2, Paul is warning, not yet. Some things that have to happen. But chapter 3, in the meantime, all right? In the meantime, between now and the time Christ comes, in the meantime, here's how you should live. Now, chapter 2 is where we're at. And as I said earlier, chapter 2 is a notoriously difficult passage. I mean, this passage is tough. You know, who is the man of lawlessness? You know, and what, you know, what has to happen? What, there's so many different 
takes on this. You would be amazed at all the things that have been written about chapter 2. And so uh, we're not going to get terribly bogged down, especially today. We're going to look at one thing today. And i tell you this, though. As you unpack chapter 2, as you begin to read it and you begin to think about it, I'll, I'll guarantee you this will happen for me. You're going to long for Jesus to come back, really. You, 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 you look at chapter 2 and you kind of look at what's going to happen, what's coming, and, and, and all the kind of crazy stuff that's going to befall this world. Friend, you're going to want Jesus to come back. You're going to begin to say as you read this, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come now, you see. So today, one simple thing I want to do. I want to talk to you about surviving a world of deception. You'll notice the word deceived shows up a couple of times in chapter 2. Even, even the word delusion shows up in chapter 2. And so we want to find a way to survive a world of deception. So the first thing I want us to look at is this, is we live in a world of deception. Brothers and sisters, do you know that? Now, I'm, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about watching a commercial that is slightly deceptive. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something far deeper, far greater, far more serious. We live in a world of deception. Let, let, let me show you. In chapter 1, in chapter 1, Paul was writing to the believers, and his emphasis was upon the persecutors. He mentions that there were those who were physically persecuting believers. That was in chapter 1. But then in chapter 2, we learn that the intellectual assault on Christianity is often fiercer than the physical. What I mean by that is, let's just do a survey. This last year, 2017, how many of you were physically assaulted for your faith in Christ? You see hand. Anybody? Anybody physically assaulted? Probably none of us, right? But how many of us faced an intellectual assault on our faith? Ah, that's going to be different, right? All right. Those maybe in the workplace, those at school, maybe those uh, in your family, uh, those who are like, what? You don't believe that, do you? Uh, but because I read the other day that this, is, and, and there's, the point is this, we are going to find that the intellectual assault against Christianity is far fiercer than the physical, especially for us in America. These believers in, in Second Thessalonians in the first century, these believers were living in a world of deception, and so are we. Now, I don't know how many of you will remember a Motown group called the uh, the Temptations. If, if, you, if, you, if you're out of the loop on that, you need to catch up, okay? One of the best Motown groups you will ever, ever hear in your life. They had a song out some years ago called Smiling Faces. Smiling Faces. The, the lyrics went like this. Smiling Faces, Smiling Faces. Sometimes they don't tell the truth. I want you to see a picture. This is a Pulitzer Prize winning picture that was taken back in the 1970s. Uh, the, the gentleman with his back to you is Lieutenant Colonel Robert Sturms. He was returning home after five years in the prison war camps of Vietnam. And this picture is filled with smiling faces. Now, we can't see Robert's, okay? But smiling face, smiling face, smiling face, smiling face, smiling face, right? Filled with smiling faces. Temptations are right. Sometimes smiling faces don't tell the truth. Uh, one of those faces does not tell the truth. Now, if you've ever research this picture before and know the story, you'll know. But there's one of those faces that's not telling the truth, though it's smiling. It's this one right here. Her name's Loretta. She is Robert's wife. And within a year after Robert was shot down, 
Loretta had abandoned the marriage. She had already decided, I'm not, I'm not in this marriage anymore. And, and in fact, upon his release from a POW camp, Robert was handed a Dear John letter from Loretta saying, you know, I'm going my own way. I'm done. I'm finished. And so when Robert sets his feet on the tarmac, the airport, he saw Loretta's smiling face. And though his children and the public did not know it, he knew that that smiling face wasn't telling the truth. We live in a world of deception, friends. As Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, the particular smiling face of false teaching making headway among the Thessalonian believers was that the day of the Lord had come. Notice in verse 2, it says, to the effect that the day of the Lord had come. Now what that meant was, there were those, there were those in the city of Thessalonica, within the church, they had infiltrated within the church, and they were teaching that the day of the Lord had come. Not that it was completed. Now listen, it was not that it was completed. These believers would know. They would know it was completed. They would know that because Jesus would be back, okay? But what they were saying was that what they were teaching was it was that the day of the Lord had dawned and they were living in it right then. And Paul was saying that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all. And, and as we see in verse 2, this false teaching had affected these believers in an adverse way. So Paul, understand, Paul is writing here and he is warning these believers not to be like a group of teenagers that we heard about earlier in this year, a group of teenagers in uh, Minnesota. They broke into a grocery store and uh, they, they stole the cake of all things. Okay, they didn't steal money. They didn't steal any any meat. They stole the cake, and the police caught them and revealed that they had stolen a cardboard cake. <laughs> so not only was it humiliating enough that they break in and they steal a cake of all things, and then they are humiliatingly caught, and then they are humiliatingly revealed to have stolen a cardboard cake. See, Paul is writing to these believers. And saying, you live in a world of deception, and there's a lot of cardboard cakes out there. Beware. <laughs> a lot of cardboard cake type false teachings. Beware. You live in a world of deception. But that brings us to a question that begs to be asked and answered, and that is this. Can a Christian be deceived? Now, Let's pause here for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, let's, let's talk about that for just a moment. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, you, you don't understand at all how deeply you're deceived. I mean, you, you, your whole life is a life of, of darkness, uh, slavery, and deception. See, outside of Christ, you, you are deceived. So... so when I ask the question, can a Christian be deceived, let me understand that you, you understand that there might be those here this morning who are not followers of Christ. You need to understand that you, you, you just live in a world of, of, of deception and self-deception. But now if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, here's the important question we need to ask. Can a Christian be deceived? Now, someone might be sitting here today and say, wait a minute, I seem to recall a verse in the Bible that suggests that Christians can't be deceived. And you're probably thinking of Matthew 24 and 24. So let's look at that. Jesus is speaking and he said, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now we have to clear up who are the, who are the elect. 
Uh, elect is another way of, of, of those who God's chosen, those God called to himself. They've answered the call. They've answered the call of the gospel. They're, they're the elect. They're the chosen ones, okay? They're God's people, all right? So if you're here today, you've answered the call. Uh, you're one of God's chosen. You've answered the call of the gospel. So think about it. It's talking about you. So it says, so there will be attempts to lead astray if possible, even the elect. Now, when you read that, you read that, you stop and you go, huh, hmm. Kind of sounds like that the elect can't be deceived. Sounds like that it's just totally impossible for the elect to be deceived. So, so I don't have anything to worry about. I mean, I live in a world of deception, and I shouldn't have to worry about that. But then, then we have to ask the logical question. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says to believers, let no one deceive you in any way. So if it's impossible for a believer to be deceived, then why are we warned again and again and again not to be deceived? Fair question? Question we ought to be asking? Question we ought to be seeking an answer for, right? Okay. Sinclair Ferguson helped me a great deal with this verse. Um, pastor, Bible theologian. Here's what he said. Listen very carefully. Fortunately, we may say to ourselves, the elect are in no danger. For Jesus' words imply that we are incapable of falling prey to satanic deception. But to read the text in this way is to miss the point for two reasons. Listen to his reasons. In other words, if you read this and say, I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. I'm a Christian. I don't have to worry about being deceived. Then you need to consider these two things. One, take into account the evidence of history. Christians have been and are capable of being deceived. All you have to do is read church history, and you will find that Christians have been deceived. Okay? And if we think that Christians cannot be deceived, the deception has already begun. In other words, if you sit and think, I, I can't be deceived, I'm okay, you don't have to worry about me. The deception has already found some foothold. But the second reason that is given is this. If you think that believers cannot be deceived, you misunderstand the nature of impossibility. Ferguson goes on to say, Jesus did not say the elect were incapable of being deceived. We are all only too capable of it. Nevertheless, we are given this assurance. Now listen, we're given this assurance. God will protect and preserve his people. Like Simon Peter, they will be shielded by the prayers of Christ and the power of God. This is accomplished through the activity of faith. And then he gives this verse in 1 Peter 1 and 5, and you'll see it. Look at this. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, we're going to come back to this verse in just a moment. But here's what I want you to see. Can Christians be deceived? And we have to say yes. Because there are many passages found in the New Testament that warn us about deception. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church again, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. These are just a couple of samples of warnings to the church, don't be deceived. Notice in verse 3, deception can happen in a number of ways. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. In other words, there are numerous ways. And in verse 2, we find them. Paul warned them. He said, don't be, don't be deceived 
by, by a spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean some hobgoblin, some spooky thing kind of floating around in your house? And No, no. When he says don't be deceived by a spirit, he's talking about a prophetic revelation divinely communicated. It would sound often like this. God told me, uh, he showed me this. A good example of it might be this. I, I, I remember Catherine and I were, it's probably been 30 years ago plus. We were at a church where uh, on a Wednesday night, some man who's teaching, and remember the place where in the Bible where it talked about the, the woman caught in adultery? And remember what Jesus did? He turned and he wrote in the sand. Remember that? This, this brother that night said uh, that God had showed him, God had revealed to him what the man, or what Jesus wrote in the sand. And that's a bunch of hogwash. That's a bunch of hogwash. When he said it, I thought, well, who in the world do you think you are? But see, that's that, that's that spirit that God told me. He gave me this revelation to tell you. And that's what was happening here. That's, that's what Paul is warning about. This kind of thing. That, that, that where, where someone says, well, hey, the day of the Lord has come. God has revealed this to me, you see. So don't be deceived by a spirit, but also, he said, by a spoken word. And this would be just the simple teaching and preaching. It would be like a person saying, hey, come this Wednesday night, and we're going to show you that the day of the Lord has already come, you see. And Paul said, don't be deceived by that. Don't be deceived by that. And then thirdly, don't be deceived by a letter that appears to come from us. You see, Paul was writing a letter here. This Second Thessalonians is a letter, and it's an epistle, Okay. And so in Paul's day, there were many forgeries. People could write and say, sign it, Apostle Paul, you see. And, and so Paul would say, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Even if it appears to be from us, don't be deceived. We can be deceived in many different ways. For example, for us today, false religions and cults. False religions and cults. Where it can, it can sound, there can be just enough of a dose of truth. There can be a little truth here, a little truth here, a little Christian-sounding things here where people will say, well, we're Christians, we're Christians, when we find out that they have, they have beliefs, fundamental beliefs that are entirely antithesis to historical Christianity. So, beloved, don't be deceived. So, now that brings us to one final thing that we need to spend a little time on, and that is this, how to guard yourself against deception. We live in a world of deception. Christians can be deceived. So how do we guard ourselves against deception? First, first I want you to feel this, okay? Paul is serious here. You know, Paul's not playing around here. I mean, when he writes this letter, he is deeply concerned. When he writes in verse 3, let no one deceive you. He, he cares about this, these believers like a, like, a, like a father would for children, you see. So, so in other words, there's a deep concern here. Guard yourself. Be on guard. Watch out. So how do we guard ourselves against spiritual deception? What, what, let's put this into practice. What should you do? Now, now, now you, you're, 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 your thinking is heightened. Okay, I live in a world of deception. There's a number of ways I could be deceived as a believer. And so, so how do I guard myself? Well, the first thing would be this. Let me give you a heading, and then I'm going to give you two things under this heading. The heading is this. Here's how we guard ourselves. We continue to trust in the one who will guard us. We continue to trust in the one who will guard us. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Look at this. Who by God's power are guarded. So it's talking about believers. Okay? Believers are guarded by God's power. That's a good thing. Okay? Get, get, that, 
Get that imagery in your mind. God guarding us by his power. But notice what it says. Guarded through faith. So the first thing is you want to you really be encouraged and go, God is so committed. God is so committed to his people, he will guard us. He will preserve us. He will take care of us. You know, the offertory song we heard today, God will take care of you. And he'll, he'll get us to the finish line. He'll preserve us. He'll sustain his people. God will guard us. But how will he do it? Notice, the very faith in Christ that makes us a target of deception is the very faith in Christ that identifies us as legitimate people of God whom he powerfully guards. Isn't that amazing? When you put your faith in Christ, there's like a bullseye that came up on you. And the devil, you're the devil's target for deception. See how I can lead them astray. How can I undermine their faith? There's a target on you. But also that same faith in Christ that leaves you with a target on you also legitimizes you in the sight of God and said, that's one of mine. That's one of my people. That's one of my people. That's one of my redeemed people. And so he sets his powerful guard upon you. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's amazingly wonderful. But how does he do it? Through faith. Through faith. Now, what does that mean? Now, you better listen, okay? You better listen close because this is important. God will guard his people through faith. What does that mean? First, it's continued faith. That's the first thing you need to understand. It's continued faith. What does that mean? If you're a person who says, you know, sure, I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah. How dare you ask me? I'm a Christian. Don't I look like it? I'm a Christian. And your foundation for making that statement is that you got baptized when you were 12, got baptized when you were 15. You, you, you checked off the box. You know, I, I did this. I've done this. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I've done all these. I did all that stuff back then. So it doesn't really matter. But right now, I, I, I've got it going on. I, I don't, I'm not worried about right now. I got all that stuff checked off. That is not the faith. Listen, that is not the faith that Peter's talking about. He's talking about a continued faith. A, 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 faith, a faith that is operative today. Not, not something you just did back 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but today. That you are committed to Christ today. You are still believing today. You're still trusting today. You're relying upon the one who is providing you resources to help you endure. Understand? You are still trusting God to give you the resources you need to keep believing and to endure until the end. That's what's being said there. God will guard you. Thank God he will guard his people. But he will do it through faith. As we stay committed to Christ, we abide in the vine. And we continue to bear fruit, proof that we're in the vine. And as we do that. We will get resources to endure. And there's two resources I see in these verses that I want to ask you, are you availing yourself of? The first one is found in verse 5. Verse 5, Paul asks, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? What, what does that mean? Paul is saying, you know, when I was with you, I gave you specific instruction. Now you say, what's the big deal about that? Do you know who Paul is? <laughs> Paul is not just some dodo, okay? Paul's not, not just some guy. 
Paul is an apostle. He saw the resurrected Christ. See, he wasn't some guy that just put on a clerical collar and said, call me a bishop now, okay? No, he was a real deal. He saw the resurrected Christ. He was called by the resurrected Christ. What I'm saying is this. One of the resources that the God who guards us gives us to endure is the resources of the apostles' witness, otherwise known as the Bible, the Scriptures. You see, the authors of the gospel relied on eyewitness authority to make their case. In other words, if you have a Bible and you read it, it's not, it's not like any other book, okay? It's the Word of God. You say, well, wait a minute, I've heard that I've heard that this, we can't rely on this, and this and this. Listen, listen. Look at the words of John here. This is just one example of if you will just investigate and look closely. Here's what John said. This is the disciple, he's speaking about himself, who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his, that's Jesus' testimony is true. In other words, let's just take the Gospel of John. When you read the Gospel of John, you are reading the account of an eyewitness, John, who was with Jesus and saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw the life of Jesus and he saw the resurrected Jesus. In other words, you're not listening to some goofball here. He's an apostle. In other words, you can trust your Bible. It's a resource. It's truth to help you endure that you can experience the guarding that God will give you. That's one resource that I see in this passage. But the second one is found in verse 1. Are you availing yourself of this resource? Verse 1, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. Hmm. That word gathered is great. Uh, It's used numerous times in the scriptures. Let me show you two of them. I think are thrilling. Jesus said in Matthew 24, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the one end of the heaven to the other. See, the word gather means a complete collection. It's going to be a complete collection of all God's elect. That's coming one day. You say, oh, that's great. That's great. I'm looking forward to the gathering. Uh, But there's another place this word is used that you ought to be interested in. And you've read this before in Hebrews 10 and 25. The Hebrews writer is speaking to believers, not neglecting to meet together. Did you know that that very phrase, meet together, in the original is the same word, gather. In other words, don't neglect meeting together as the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord approaching. Isn't that interesting? Gathering. Gathering and the day of the Lord kind of working together here. What what are we saying? Listen very closely. When Christians gather in worship, just like you're doing today, hopefully you will do next Sunday and hopefully you would do next Sunday and you might even think about Wednesday somewhere in there. As the people of God gather for worship, they are anticipating and symbolically rehearsing the day when we will be gathered unto our Lord. Did you know that? Today, today, you're, you're in rehearsal right now. You are. If you've gathered here together as a believer, you've gathered here for worship, you are rehearsing for that ultimate gathering day. That, that's exactly what this is saying, you see. And so what, what my point is this. Part of God's resources for guarding us 
that we'll not be deceived. At least two here is relying upon the word of God, the truth. And secondly, continuing to gather together. Because as we gather together, one last verse in Hebrews 3 and 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, as we gather together for worship, we're able to exhort one another and warn one another, watch out, watch out for the cardboard cakes. Watch out for the cardboard cakes. So let me close. Perhaps in this environment also, as we gather, you can be saved from the worst sort of deception, and that is self-deception. What if you're here this morning and you say, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But you ignore these resources. You, 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 you say, I, man, read the Bible, that seems for older people. Uh, I really, I don't have time for that. I'm not really seriously interested in that at all. Let me say to you very clearly, at the least, at the very least, you are living an unguarded life. If you, if you, if you are a believer and you have said, you know, these, you talk about these resources and all you want, preacher, listen, at the very least, you are living an unguarded, dangerous life. At the very worst, you are self-deceived. And even if that's the case, I want you to know there's still hope this morning because we are proclaiming God's word, his truth, his truth. In other words, God is one more time trying to speak to you. He's sliding this letter under the door to you, trying to get your attention, how to wake you out of your self-deception, to not, to not build your life upon something that happened 20 years ago or 30 years ago or one year ago. Are you continuing to believe in Christ today? So there's hope, God speaking. The question is, will you hear?